0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is April 11th. We are nearing Easter ever more closely and we have a lot of news for you today. The YSD report came out today and we will be talking to Ted Seifert later about that. But first, I have some updates on some stories we reported about yesterday. Mike uh, went off on his soapbox yesterday about KFC releasing a statement that they were going to be antibiotic free And I happened to run across this uh, post posted by the Animal Agriculture Alliance this morning. And they said U.S. federal law requires that laying hens are never fed hormones. So whether or not the carton says so, all eggs are hormone free. And I just thought that was funny and uh, strange coincidence that that happened to pop up in my Today, as Mike was ranting about it yesterday.
1: Yep, I've got all kinds of rants lined up, Delaney. How there is all sorts of things that grind my gears. And it wasn't KFC going antibiotic-free. I have no problem with that. They're trying to meet that consumer demand. I have a problem with the way it was reported. That's my issue.
0: I think that's probably what Animal Ag Alliance was getting at with that post: is that a lot of the advertising or um, labeling we see. It might be accurate, but it's not necessarily telling us the full story.
1: That's the truth. There was a great post, and gosh, I apologize. Uh, somebody put this up on Twitter. They tagged uh, Dr. Kevin Fulton and a number of others. They were standing at the grocery store, and they had a picture of the, uh, you know, the list of, of what's in that aisle. And it was water, organic water, and non-GMO water. <laughs> you know, guys, come on. It's all the same thing.
0: Yeah, I just... When you see water, of all things, you can't differentiate whether it's organic or non-GMO, and consumers just don't necessarily understand that. And like Dairy Carry was saying yesterday, it's not that consumers are stupid, it's just that they don't know any better. They don't have that knowledge, and they just believe what they're told to an extent.
1: Right, and somehow the notion that uh, organic is healthier or non-GMO is better for you got stuck in their heads. And, you know, as as P.T. Barnum once said, most famously, Delaney, there's a sucker born every minute. And the job of marketing is to find that sucker and extract as much as you can out of him. And, you know, <laughs> so I can't fault them for doing that. But, uh, yeah, I just wish they I don't know, I don't know. If, if I ruled the world, Delaney Howell, we'd be in a much better place, I can tell you that.
0: Well, it's also funny that we're talking about this. I retweeted an article on Twitter, I think this morning, and it was posted by Ag Grad Nation, which, if you don't follow them, you should. And basically, they're a group that um, helps students find internships in the ag world. And it was talking about is ag considered a pyramid scheme? And uh, it talked a lot about the Ag Chat Conference, which was held in St. Louis a few weeks ago. But basically, the part that I found most interesting was one of the students at this conference didn't really grow up in agriculture and they asked her, you know, if you were approached by someone at the grocery store and were told what, or was asked about your buying decisions, how would that make you feel? You know, or if, or if a producer was trying to tell you, Oh, I raised this food this way and blah, 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 and trying to fill you in on their food, She said that that would make her feel really uncomfortable. And so then the follow-up question to that was, well, how can we help you make more informed choices? And she said, if you want me to buy your stuff, make it pretty and make it convenient. So it's not necessarily that consumers always believe organic or non-GMO is a better product. They just probably like the marketing or like the packaging a little bit better than some of the other stuff.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It all comes back to marketing at the end of the day. You know, speaking of marketing, one of the places that uh, we are trying to do more marketing of products is into the giant country of China. And you spoke yesterday, Delaney, about President Trump's meeting with President Xi of China. Have we learned anything more since that uh, was talked about yesterday?
0: Yes. So on the meeting place, which is spelled M-E-A-T-I-N-G place, meat as in the food you eat they have released an article talking about china beef and apparently china has once more agreed to allow u.s beef exports into the country so currently i think that would be around a seven billion dollar industry which would be huge to the u.s beef industry obviously and so uh just going forward like we talked about yesterday they have those four pillars now of how they're going to negotiate and set up trade in the future. And so I think it will be interesting to see uh, what comes of this, you know, lift on exports to U.S. beef.
1: Yeah, now come on, China, just get in there and buy some. I mean, they've talked about this for quite a while. We need them to spend some. And I. Cold hard cash. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: I was just going to say, and I uh, noticed on President Trump's Twitter handle, he. Uh, what did he say? Oh, He said, I explained to the president of China that a trade deal with the U.S. will be far better for them if they solve the North Korean problem. And then later he tweeted, North Korea is looking for trouble. If China decides to help, that would be great. If not, we will solve the problem without them. So still a little bit of controversy there from President Trump directed towards President Xi of China. But, you know, hopefully uh, he can make something happen for the beef industry.
1: Yeah, hopefully he can. And, you know, just on a side note, gosh, it would be great to see the, uh, the North Koreans finally free of that kleptocratic dictatorship that runs that country. I mean, yeah, they've been pals with China, and I'd hate to see U.S. servicemen and women have to go over there and fight, but, oh boy, he's firing off missiles. That's not great for a mm-hmm. global stability. You know, Delaney, no, we had really. some uh, had some other beef news, and this is kind of we're going to hop in the wayback machine here. A lot of producers remember back in 2012 when ABC, the uh, television network, did a story, and I can't remember if it was on uh, me, World News Night, World News Tonight, here with uh, Diane Sawyer. They were basically talking about a product produced by uh, BPI up in South Dakota. And uh, the product was called lean, finely textured beef. And it was basically a a product that was utilized in a lot of different beef applications. And the production process isn't the most visually appealing. Well, ABC went out and called it pink slime. And they reiterated this across many, many newscasts that went everywhere. Pink slime, is it in your food? Pink slime, pink slime, pink slime. Perfectly healthy food product. Uh, Basically, that ad or that not ad but that news program led to a loss of 400 million dollars in bpi's business and it forced uh, a closure of all of its plants except sioux city and laid off more than 700 workers big deal and since then bpi has been trying to sue abc for defamation and last year a lower court said okay bpi this suit can move forward ABC then took it to the Supreme Court of South Dakota and asked them to reverse that ruling. Well, the Supreme Court came out yesterday and okayed this lawsuit. So as it stands today, the trial will begin June 5th in Union County Circuit Court in South Dakota. Could last up to eight weeks. And BPI is suing for $1.9 billion in defamation. So we'll keep an eye on that and uh, keep everybody up to date as that case moves into the uh, courthouse.
0: Again, marketing and branding issues, uh, that must be prevalent uh, in our newscast today. How odd. It is.
1: Yeah, look at that. You know, we're talking about marketing and dealing with uh, closures there at BPI and closures up in Wisconsin. Delaney, after our conversation with Dairy Carey, have you heard anything more about the uh, Wisconsin milk producer situation?
0: Well, actually, and I didn't realize this piece of the puzzle until this morning, but apparently a lot of dairies in New York are also being affected by this new agreement or export closure with Canada. So apparently Canadian dairy farmers have agreed to lower their prices in exchange for manufacturers in the country rejecting imports. So that's sort of the backside of why this has been happening But with that, the Agriculture Commissioners for Wisconsin and New York have asked USDA to basically alleviate or relieve some of these farms and provide a market for access cheese and butter. And so if this were to go through and the USDA agrees, they will be buying some of this access cheese and butter that would be going to Canada to use for nutrition programs in the States. And so the International Dairy Foods Association estimated that If nothing happens, there's going to be a total loss of around $150 million. And a lot of these farms are predicting that they'll have to shut down. And So it really could just be a big upset for the dairy industry in these two states if USDA doesn't agree to help out and provide another market for some of these dairies.
1: Okay, so hopefully the theory is USDA will step in, buy up a lot of this product that would have gone to Canada, and that will help keep the market afloat as well as provide a market for these producers whose contracts have been voided did did i understand that right
0: yep that's correct and it doesn't say if this market would be long-term or short-term but i think it's just to brace for some of that initial shock and impact of the may 1st deadline which is quickly approaching
1: okay gotcha
0: But in other market news, why don't you read us the closing market prices for today before we talk to Ted about the Wazdy report?
1: You betcha. Let's see where things closed, and then we'll get Ted to explain why they closed that way. So we'll start the day looking at the corn market. May corn closed down half a penny at 366 and a half. December corn also down a half at 390 and a half. Over in soybeans, the May bean contract closed down two and a half cents at 9.39 and a quarter. November beans down one and a quarter ended the day at 9.48 and a half. Over on the wheat side, actually a little bit of green. May wheat, Chicago wheat closed up four and a half cents at 4.33 and a quarter. Deese Chicago wheat closed up six and a quarter cents at 4.81 even. Taking a look at the livestock trade more green ink April fat cattle traded up $2.15 ending the day at 12325 June live cattle up $1.40 closed at 11370 In feeder cattle April feeders were up $1.87.5, finished the day at 13717 and a half May feeder cattle up $1.95 finished the day at 13732 and a half with the hog market, April lean hogs were down 67 and a half cents, closed at 62.65. May lean hogs up 22 and a half cents, ending the day at 69.57 and a half. Delaney, should we go ahead and just turn it over to Ted Seifert and get his thoughts?
0: I think that would be the best idea.
1: All right. Without further ado, who here is Ted Seifert from Zayner Ag Hedge. Well, folks, we're here with Ted Seifert. We had the uh, USDA publish their WASDE report, the uh, World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. And, Ted, what were you expecting today, and what did the report do for you?
2: Well, we were expecting a very boring report, and we got exactly that. It was uh, <laughs> really not much in the way of changes for the domestic balance sheet for corn or soybeans, uh, a little bit for wheat, but for you know, just, just sort of uh, bookkeeping, you know, just kind of line items uh, for the USDA. For example, uh, the USDA raised uh, corn ethanol usage by 50 million uh, bushel, but they lowered feed by 50 million bushel. And we ended up with an unchanged carryover, so not much there. For For soybeans, we saw... Uh, some categories that we don't usually see them do things with very often, um, and again, just small bookkeeping, Uh, they raised the seed by 9 million bushel, which I've been arguing they've needed to do for a while if they're going to get anywhere near the acres that they've been talking about. Uh, And they lowered residual by 19 million, so that ended up with a 10 million increase in in soybean carryover, very very much what the trade was looking for. Um, So, yeah, nothing much there. I, I really, what we saw uh, was South American numbers were yes. a little bit surprising. We had the USDA go to a 111 million metric ton number for Brazil. Uh, this is a number that 111, that's a number that I've been talking about oh, for about a month and a half now. i have talked about it a lot down at Commodity Classic. Uh, that was sort of my expectation in the long run. I just was not really thinking the USDA was going to do that on this report. I think the trade, for the most part, was feeling the same way. Uh, but they did. They ripped the Band-Aid off, and so that gave us a bigger Brazil production number. The Argentina number actually went up slightly. Most people were looking for it to go down slightly. Uh, so we ended up with a, a uh, quite a bit bigger uh, global carryout number for soybeans than what the trade was expecting. So cool. the knee-jerk reaction was lower. At one point, we had corn down about 5 cents. We had beans down about 12. Uh, but by the end of the day, we were you know, inching back towards unchanged with corn. Really, only down about a half cent, beans down two and a half, and, and wheat uh, stronger on the day, up four and a half, and that's more re- weather-related for some dryness in the plains.
1: Yeah. Now, Ted, I want to take us back to that Brazil number, what? that 111 that Brazil's thrown out there. Does that uh, does that change your long-term mm-hmm. view? Is this big crop done getting bigger, or are we going to see further increases as the year goes on?
2: So that's a, that's a great question, Mike. And so what I was talking about a month and a half ago, because everybody was asking the same question, was how big can this this Brazilian crop get if they finish off really well? And I said, you know, under really near ideal circumstances, I think 111 to 112 is about as big as I can see this Brazilian crop getting. And and with what's happened since then, you know, in the last month and a half, I really think that 111 number is really very accurate. I think that's as big as that number is going to get. And if it does get bigger, I don't think it gets bigger by more than, say, a million metric tons. So I think this was the USDA. Ripping the band-aid off, and, and I don't think it changes things longer term because again, I think this is that was the number that I think a lot of us were were thinking we'd finally end up at. It was just a matter of, of when, and we really didn't think it was going to be on this report. We thought the USDA would kind of take another couple months to stare stuff into it. Uh, but I think the trade's comfortable with that number, and I, I think it's a big part of why uh, while we were down kind of sharply when the report came out by the end of the day we'd really trimmed those losses very dramatically to the point where we were a lot closer to unchanged than we were the lows so I don't think this report's a game changer by any means I think we look at the report we say okay you know these are numbers that were expected these are numbers that have been factored into the market already now we look forward and now when we do that we start looking at at weather I don't think weather is uh, it's too early to say that we've got Big planting delays. I mean, we're not behind the average as a whole when you look at the whole country, uh, mainly because Texas and they, they were they were really off to a good a good start. If you look at like Missouri, though, they're well behind. Um, so you know, yeah, okay, it's too early to get too concerned about weather delays and planting delays and potential of losing acres. But I'll say this for corn. If there was anybody thinking that we were going to see corn acres get back to the 91, 92 million acre range, uh, I think in order to do that, we really needed to see planting get off to a roaring start and being very aggressive with, with our corn planting uh, in order to, to keep going with the corn in order to keep those numbers uh, or get those numbers back up to the the 91, 92 area. The the weather that we're seeing right now is, is maybe stopping us from doing that. So, Uh, Each day we go by where we're not out aggressively planting, I think that makes it harder to hit those numbers. And the window of opportunity might be closing for the 91, 92 million acre corn crop. So that's my takeaway at the moment. I don't think overall when you look at all of it together, I don't think we're in a spot where we're losing acres right now. So I don't think it's a tremendously bullish feature for the market at the moment. But the two-week forecasts are still pretty wet. That might start to cause a bit of concern in the market. And typically, you know, we get these spring rallies. We've done very well with that the last four, three four years. Uh, last year we had about a 90-cent spring rally in corn and almost a $3 spring rally in soybeans. I don't think we're setting up for a similar situation this year because there's, there's some differences there. For one, we didn't have that late-season South American weather problems with too wet in Argentina and too dry in Brazil. <laughs> and then secondly, and probably more importantly, we don't have the weather forecasters out there this year, talking about, you know, 550, 650 corn and, you know, big drought and so on and so forth. So we kind of got fooled on, on that. You know, we added weather premium for that last year, and then we took the market had to take it all away by the second week of June. I don't think we're going to do that this year. I don't think we're going to add in that substantial weather premium this year um, and then have to take it away later. I think what happens is maybe we, we sort of drift higher through the spring months and get a, a sort of a subdued sort of springtime rally. Uh, but then if we were to have any weather issues in June or July, then you can really start to see a bit of fireworks. Um, but I'm, I'm looking for a recovery. I don't know about a, okay. a, a spring rally or, or a bigger bounce, but I think we start to see a recovery in prices going forward.
0: Now, Ted, looking in the live cattle market for today, mm-hmm. April was up two over $2. Yeah. Do you account that from the WASDE report, or were there other factors playing into that huge jump today?
2: I think there had been other factors um, that were playing into it as well, but I think the the, the USDA Wazey report certainly helped out a lot. I mean, I was watching feeder cattle very closely when that report came out, and you saw feeders go from being slightly negative on the day, or just slightly positive. I don't remember exactly where when the report came out, but we were we had been negative on the day leading up to that report and then very quickly after that is where we found the strength i I think the cattle as a whole kind of wanted to go higher today but they were waiting to see what happened with the report corn on monday was really quite strong so it's kind of a little bit cautious about going higher but once we got the report out of the way and corn headed lower that's when you saw your cattle make that that secondary push higher um and then even with with corn coming back on the end of the day it wasn't enough to to take those those cattle off the highs. So, yeah, cattle look good. I mean, new recent highs uh, for April live cattle, and then I'm watching the August feeder cattle. I mean, we're seeing new highs there too. Um, mm-hmm.
1: That's the yeah. question. I mean, we've been right. higher. How now. much we've got more a lot do we of have? How much strength do we do we, do we bail on this today, or do we uh, do we let it run a little while?
2: So, I, I think the best strategy right now is to be looking to, to own puts underneath the market for producers and to, to try to lock in a floor. Um, if we keep getting higher, I'm going to start changing my, my tune and start in, and tell guys to start selling cash and then maybe own some call. It does keep going. But for right now, I think you, you add puts because at the moment we have a double top uh, or potential for a double topping market. A lot of times don't, those don't hold. You have to think there might be a little bit more extension higher here. Um, a lot of talk about opening more business with China, and that certainly is a good thing. Uh, and, and your specs have, have gotten involved in these markets. They like what they see. and They're they're starting to buy as well, too. So I think you you kind of pick your spots on days like today where we are sharply higher to go in and try to get some, some cheaper, not necessarily don't cheap out on them too much, but, you know, cheaper puts, put a floor underneath this market for the time being, especially if you're going out to, like, say, the August feeders, for example. Sure. You do want to get some sort of protection now.
1: What are we looking at price-wise? On an August feeder put it, would you set it at like a 135, 130 strike? Where would you go?
2: Yeah, you know, the 135, 136 maybe, I, I'm not terribly uh, unhappy with those numbers. I mean, they're a little bit costly when you're going that far out in time, but you can certainly spread them off. Uh, you know, if you did like a 136, say 130, uh, put spread that might be a little bit tight but you know you can do that for about 175 okay. um, or if you did like a, a 136 128 you could get that done for about a uh uh 220 225 somewhere right in that neighborhood <laughs> i think that's a good spot to start 128 is sort of my target for a correction to the downside or about 12850. so that 136 128 i think would serve well for just uh something to have in there to begin protection. And then if we really are falling hard and, and something's changing in the market, you can always do something to, if you well, ideally maybe sell some cash in that, uh, forward contract some cash in that range, um, you know, before we get below 128. Or if that just doesn't work for your sales schedule, there's ways to open up the downside there. But for right now, I think that's kind of where I'd be leaning.
1: Okay. I was just going to say you're, right now it's just the risk premium isn't there to sell futures outright in either live or feeders.
2: Yeah, no, I I just I I don't like the idea of selling futures outright because I'd probably want to buy some calls to cover that up with the the way this thing's been trading and you're paying a lot more on the skews on the call side of things than you are on the puts. Gotcha. So, for me, I protect the downside using puts in a market like this uh because I'm not so sure that the highs are in quite yet. So, I'd like to let this thing keep going and if I get a chance to move my 136s up to 139, if we get to say 142 for example, and again, August feeder cattle, um then I'm going to, I'm going to use that. So rather than using a, a sniper rifle to try to pick the top with futures, I'm going to use more of a shotgun approach and, you know, try to pick an area and I can adjust that later on and, and get a, and improve that position if the opportunity arises. So, um, yeah, just the way it's trading, the way the specs seem to be wanting to get involved, I, I would use the put spread. Uh, I I'd use that, I'd be a lot quicker to use that than the futures and that type of the way that market's trading. Gotcha.
0: Ted, one final question for you. Do you see any major factors that producers should be aware of over the coming weeks as they continue to watch these prices hopefully increase, but we never know for sure?
2: Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you, you want to talk about specifically cattle or, or just a, markets in general for the grains, obviously it's weather and planting and are we going to, we're going to get this crop in. We we will get this crop in, but, you know, <laughs> or will we get it in, in time and are right. we going to see any sort of acreage shift and things like that? Uh, that's really going to be, you know, spring weather is going to be the big thing going forward for grains. Uh, as far as cattle are concerned, you know, something I'm very interested in is, uh, you know, we saw a nice little uptick in export sales last week. Um, and the timeline of that really coincides with when the rest of the world sort of banned Brazilian beef. Now, mm-hmm. They've since reopened uh, trade with Brazilian beef. And now I'm wondering if that happened because they were just were not ready to shift everything over to us um, or, or, or Australia for that matter. Uh, and they had to do that to fill some orders, but they really are leaning towards maybe getting more heavy on, on U.S. exports. Or if that was just a flash in the pan export week and, and then we start to, to fall back. Overall, we had been approaching or i guess are approaching uh being net even on our imports and exports in the beef uh, which we haven't seen since two thousand fourteen nice so if we're gonna if we're yeah right so if we're gonna continue to do that and we're gonna need China to I think get us there um, you know longer term i'm I'm getting more friendly uh for cattle prices, but if that was just a flash in the pan and we start to see uh, that you know revert and 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 start to move mm-hmm. back down into the net importer uh, area again, and by a bigger way, that takes a lot of steam out of this. Uh, the other one was weights. You know, steer weights are only about five pa- five pounds or a few pounds over the five year average, and they're they're quite a bit lower than they were this time last year. Um, so, you know, if those weights continue to come down, you know, that takes a big chunk out of supply, even if the head is even if the head count's there. Uh, So those are the two things I'd be watching. But exports in particular, I'm very curious to see if we're going to follow up with a few good weeks of export sales here or if that was just a one-week flash in the pan.
1: All right, everybody, get out there and encourage your foreign friends to uh, buy more U.S. beef. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) All right, Delaney, go ahead. All right,
0: well, thank you so much, Ted.
2: Absolutely, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's fun. It's been a fun day. And, uh, yeah, anytime. Anytime. Anytime.
0: Again, a big, huge thank you to Ted Seifert of Zaner Ag, and he had a lot of interesting things to say, but uh, hopefully it doesn't sound like there'll be too many long-term market effects from the YZ report that was released today.
1: Yeah, hopefully we can continue to find buyers for those beans, both out of North America and out of Brazil. That's, we got to figure out where we can build up that demand.
0: Yep, that's right.
1: Well, Delaney, what do we have going on the rest of this week?
0: Well, Mike, I am still working with Dairy Carry to hopefully find a farmer from Wisconsin that has been directly impacted from this Canadian dairy issue. But besides that, I don't have too much going on on my end. Are you working on anything, Mike?
1: I'm always working on something, Delaney Howell. I've got uh, got a million (laughs) irons in the fire. I've got all sorts of things that I'm thinking about. And, you know, folks are just going to have to tune in to figure out uh, which... Which hot iron comes out of the fire? I don't know where to take that metaphor. But uh, we'll figure something out, and we will have uh, news tomorrow at the same
0: time. So be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or online. And if you have any comments, ideas, or questions for us, feel free to tweet us at agnewsdaily or shoot us an email which is info at com. We'll see you all again tomorrow.